0: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. The following on podcast is
1: proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you
2: You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And once again, another busy show coming up. We'll discuss another strong week for England at the T20 World Cup as they make it four wins from four. And we debate whether Joss Butler is England's greatest white ball batter. We'll also be joined by former England World Cup winning coach Andy Flower and discuss the shocking details to emerge from the Azim Rafiq case with the Cricketers' Chief Correspondent, George Dobell. This and plenty more to come over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2. Well, England made it four wins from four. Well, two wins from four and two annihilations. West Indies and Australia are still licking deep wounds from uh, the victories that England inflicted on them. They have been absolutely astonishing. Pakistan would be the talking point of this uh, T20 World Cup because their form's amazing, were it not for the fact that England have been in such red-hot form, Harmy. The only concern is that maybe they peak too soon. Um, No, I don't think that's that. Uh, Two years ago, three years ago, Manners,
3: I'd say yes. I don't believe that will happen in this side. I think this side are a lot more experienced, They've been in you know big pressured situations before, got over the line. A lot of them got over the line in the 2019 50 over World Cup. They've got a, an impressive leader who seems to be getting better game by game from a leadership point of view and tacti- tactical point of view. have got an opening batsman who you know, I've said it many times in this on this collective about this tournament. It's a power player tournament. When you've got the best one of the best power player players ever and he's performing well. You're going to take some stopping because Josh Butler is unbelievable at this moment in time.
2: Yeah, and he joins Heather Knight um, as the first male cricketer to score centuries in all three formats for England. Let's just remind ourselves what Josh Butler sim- uh, said himself about his performance after that century against Sri Lanka.
4: To put him performance in a World Cup, and you now they're all must-win games in, in this uh, tournament. So, yeah, delighted. I'm delighted to. I think come through the innings as well at periods I was finding it tricky um sort of used more experience and stayed patient um trusted that it will come at at um at some point in the innings and and um yeah i am obviously delighted uh with the win
2: Josh Butler, after uh, hitting the last ball of the innings for six over square leg to reach a hundred it was it was uh, in- extraordinary i mean the innings against Australia was one thing but what really made this for me was that England were 47 for three at the halfway stage. Hmm. 47 for three at the halfway stage. Josh Butler's first 50 came from 45 balls.
3: It was, it was brilliant. If Australia's was a masterclass in power hitting and total annihilation of a bowling attack, which we look at this bowling attack of Mitchell Stark, Josh Hazelwood and Pat Cummins, the three seamers that England are going to play in the Ashes, who, you know, if, if England lose the Ashes, it'll largely be down to them three. Joss like them, made them look like park cricketers, look village cricketers. He smashed Mitchell Stark everywhere. And it was great to see. But if that was power and, you know, just, you say, total annihilation, a little bit, it took me back to, you know, standing 22 yards away from Matty Hayden and Adam Gilchrist, smashing it everywhere and thinking, where on earth am I going to bowl now? this field is not only not big enough, I've not got enough fielders on this field. This was a completely different innings. This was a masterclass of understanding the situation, playing the surface, understanding the wicket, as well as knowing what you're, because bear in mind the bat first in this game, knowing what a good total was for your team. And the, the game awareness was, was every bit as good as the power that he had against Australia. That for me is why I actually think the the innings against uh, Sri Lanka was up there with not only better than Australia's innings, but probably one of the best innings that Joss has ever played because not only did he have to regroup, he had to think, he had to make an understanding of where the game was at the time. He had to help Owen Morgan, his captain, through a sticky patch at the start. And then he went and, and made sure that England got a total that they could defend at the end. All that in the shortest form of the game when they say... It's just you know, it's just crash bang wallop, and you, you haven't got a thing. You've just got to go out there free and smash it everywhere. That for me, why it, that, that innings there is a special, special innings from Josh Butler.
2: So is he England's best white ball batter ever? I think he is now. I think he's
3: just taken over from from the old mate uh, Kevin Peterson. Can, can we say he's the best one we've ever produced? And uh, it, it's I can, yeah, I can, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll keep Kevin in these uh, debates because. I I don't think I'd ever see anybody all round as good as Kevin Peterson um, in my lifetime, but on an individual white ball basis, I think Josh Butler might have just gone past him. He's phenomenal.
2: And on the subject of Owen Morgan and his captaincy, you know, some great leaders are very demonstrative and they wave their arms around and, and they call impromptu huddles and, uh, and they give a, a spontaneous team talk and, but, Morgan doesn't need to do all that, but he, my goodness me, what a captain, what a leader. There was a time where Sri Lanka, well, they needed 41 off the last four overs. You know, they were gone. They were they were history. And then suddenly they, had, they got a partnership and they were hitting sixes and boundaries with Winindu Hasaranga. And, you know, suddenly it looked like they could pull off a complete heist and, and, and mug England and, and walk away with the victory. And then Morgan had that, the problem with Timmel Mills, who's gone down injured after one and a half overs. He had to juggle his attack. He had to make all these decisions. And yet he still, I mean, I know he doesn't bowl, but he just grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck, took control of it. And before you knew it, England had won by 26 runs.
3: Yeah, and that's the beauty about Owen Morgan. He is probably England's best all-rounder without even bowling because his <laughs> captaincy itself is a discipline that, is is ridiculous, and the, the the for me the 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 art of a good captain or the art of a good leader is not showing panic you I know mean, I played played with probably arguably one of the best in red Bull format, and that was Michael Vaughan you know behind them glasses you didn 't know what michael was thinking and I think owen 's the same with that i, I don 't think he's as superhuman as what people make him out to be. I think if you asked him he he would have be saying i was you know that was a bit twitchy I was a bit nervous and that but the one thing I would say, you probably say, is I backed not only the decisions I make, but the bowlers and the fielders that are in that I'm in charge of. And I think that was that was the huge thing about that passage of play. Any other side might have panicked. Any other side might have crumbled. They might have dropped that catch that Jason Roy and Sam Billings had. Josh Butler wouldn't have hit the stumps from that great run out. You know, the captain might have thought, "All right, I need to go to my best bowler." And completely mess my plans up. I need to, I need to rejig this. I need to go hell further. I need a wicket. And that then sometimes makes makes the mistake and makes the batting side get over the line a lot easier. But Morgan believed in what you know his decisions were going to be. He believed in his fielders or he's in the outfield would would stay calm and his bowlers would hit their lengths. And I think he also knew that it was a one-wicket game. Yeah, you know, if if Sri Lanka were gonna get over the line, it was this partnership. And we just had to stick in and make sure that if the chance come, which they always do in 2020 cricket, then we will we will break the partnership and win the game. And I think that from an experienced leadership point of view is what Owen Morgan's best trait is. He doesn't panic, he doesn't, you know, make rash decisions. Like you said, he's not somebody that throws his arms around and kicks the dirt like Nasser Hussein does or Varek Kohli did. And that rubs off, that rubs off on, on your team. When you see your captain kicking things and shouting and screaming and bowling. Yeah, it, it just makes you a lot worse in pressure situations. When you steam as calm as what Owen is, then you believe that he backs you to deliver your skills. And more often than not, England do.
2: It's really interesting that he chose Wokes to finish Mills over, meaning that Wokes could only bowl three and a half. So he had, uh, you know, he made that decision to have three less balls from uh, Chris Wokes. But, you know, England won batting first. It's only happened eight out of. 28 games in the T20 World Cup um, and they were 47 for three at the halfway stage as I said so it was a it was a new way to win for England let's hear from Joss Butler again
4: I think it was a great win for us as a team Um, you know to be three matches before we've we've won the toss and done what we wanted to do so um, today to be um, probably on the worst end of the conditions to show the character we did as a side one of our bowlers getting injured, guys having to step up and, and bowl some overs in, 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 at tough times. Um, so I think the, the character in the group and, and what that will do for us as a side is is fantastic.
2: Yeah, they certainly did dig deep and um, and yeah, they, they found a, a different way to win. Just quickly on uh, Timal Mills, hopefully, hopefully, given his uh, how hard he's worked to get back into the England uh, team, um, it's an injury that can... Heal quickly I mean it doesn't if it is a quad uh, that's not good is it that's not good at all they've got David Willey do they call somebody else into the squad
3: well I think the the conundrum for from my point of view from an England thing is the batting unit middle order hasn't had a real goal yet Moan Ali is is he one too low it when he came in at number six but then Liam Livingston didn't bat is there an argument for if Mills comes out we need like for like replacement from an angle point of view, you go with David Willie. I still think if that's the case, you need Pierce. You still need a Pierce bowler in there. And that would be would be Mark Wood if he's fit. So then do England change their dynamics of their of their group and the balance of their side? Do they leave David Milan out and go with the extra bowler in the for Owen Morgan to use, they still have the left arm option. They still got the pierce because I still think that is really important in their middle overs and middle period. We've got to remember as well, Mark Wood got four wickets in the, the last warm up game before he started feeling his ankle. So England have got options. Um One of them options, batting options, hasn't batted yet, and he's a he's fiery character. And I think that's 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 somebody I wouldn't like to leave in the shed for for too long in Liam Livingston. So. I think there is there will be questions going around the England selection panel. Did they have a look at that formula against South Africa on Saturday? Um, I did believe I did did think that if England won the toss in and and batted second against Sri Lanka, that if they won the toss and against South Africa, they would have to bat first just to make sure that they knew how to set a total uh, on these surfaces because just in case they lost it in the semi final or final to get used to what what they need to do in the job in hand. So all these things will be, will be going around that selection unit. I don't see Mills playing any part of this tournament. The next, I think the only part Mills has got in this tournament is potentially on the 14th of November, picking up a winner's medal on a podium. Uh, Reese Topley's out there. He'd be another option that you could come in, taller bowler, hit the deck a little bit harder from a different height. Um, but from an injury point of view, if if he has done any damage to that quad, then for me, it's, it's, it's the tournament over for Tamal Mills, which is a real shame because I think he's done brilliant for England. I think he's been fantastic in the tournament so far. Uh, was it a big ask to play four games in a row? Well, that's, that's something the selectors will have to, they'll have to answer themselves. But England have options and good options for me going forward.
2: You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe. And my co-host, Steve Harmison. Still to come, we'll hear from the England captain, Joe Root, the head of uh, the Ashes. But next up, we'll be joined by former England head coach, Andy Flower. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for your time. I'll tell you what, I've, I, know about all, I know all about the ups and downs of freelance life after 30 years uh, of it, but uh, how's it suiting you?
5: Well, a couple of years into doing these various franchise tournaments around the world, and now just dipping my toe back into the international scene at a World Cup. I've had a, an amazing experience over the last couple of years. It's been really fascinating from a professional and personal uh, standpoint. And, uh, and I've really enjoyed it. It's very different. It's a different type of coaching to what I was doing with England for many years. So, yeah, fascinating manners. Uh, thank you for asking.
3: Andy, the, the, the job you're in now with, with Afghanistan... How is it working with, with Afghanistan? Because they seem to, the, the team that are obviously come through the affiliated and emerging nations and now a full nation. But they've got some really exciting cricketers, you know, Majib and, um, and, and Rashid Khan, two that I think any other test team in the world, especially in white ball cricket, would love to have.
5: Yeah, Hami, um, nice to see you as well. Mate, it is really exciting. It's, it's, it's a big part of the reason why I took on uh, this sort of temporary coaching job just for the World Cup with Afghanistan. Other than their, their wider cricket story being really interesting, they've, they've done some amazing things in a very short space of time as a cricketing nation. Uh, but you're talking about the, the talent in the group, very talented bunch and a very committed bunch. Now, I've come across a number of these players in franchise cricket, I've had them in my teams. They're excellent professional cricketers. They train hard. They are good under pressure. They're resilient. And they sort of model pros, really. And when they get together as a group, they are fighting for their country. And they're very proud about what they de- de- deliver for their country. They're very aware that they are representing the people of, Af- Af- of Afghanistan and embrace that responsibility uh, Lance Klusener, their coach, who has done a great job with them, often talks about putting smiles on the faces of the people in Afghanistan. Uh, and that's really nice to be part of. And, and yes, a very talented bunch. Uh, you know, we've got a really talented top three uh, that hit the ball hard. Uh, younger Buzz at number three, I think, is going to be the mainstay of their batting for the next 10 years. Um, very talented guy with a, with a great technique. And then there's some of the older guys, like Nabi, who's captain, and who captain's brilliantly. And he's a great role model for them. Uh, and Mujib and Rashid, they are the mystery spinners that, as you say, any international side would love, love to have in their eleven.
2: And the what about the big picture, the other teams? Um, your thoughts on the demise of India and in the West Indies and, and the red-hot form of Pakistan, and especially
5: England? Well, we played, we played the West Indies, in a warm-up game, and we beat them really comfortably. And they went about the warm-up game as they usually go up, go about warm-up games in a pretty casual fashion. And I must say, I, I was watching them, and I was thinking, "Are you sure, guys, you're going to be able to turn it on when it really counts?" And they haven't been able to yet. Um, so, I mean, that's always a slightly risky game to play, isn't it? Just thinking yeah. you can turn it on at the right time. So they they've struggled. And maybe it's not quite so surprising that they that they've struggled like they have at the start of this tournament for those reasons. England's been superb, obviously, uh, very very dominant and hugely impressive. And who else? We you? oh, you were talking about. You, you mentioned India. India, obviously, the big story at this World Cup, and uh, and certain certainly one of the favourites to win it. And and they've only played two games, and. You can't quite write them off yet. There's still, a, there's, there's still a pathway for them to get through, but it would take almost a miracle for that to happen. But they they are a superb side, full of talent. And like like most sides, they are probably sick of the bubbles they've been in for a long time. Um, but I think everyone's, everyone's in a similar position. Um, so I, I don't think that can be a, a reason for their underperformance so far.
3: I'm sure Andy, you've had one eye on England for the amount of obviously time you've spent with, with England, you know, only playing in England and coaching England. Um, what have you met? Leadership, qualities of Owen Morgan and the brilliance of, of Joss Butler.
5: Yeah, so uh, I mean, Owen's been superb, hasn't he? Uh you know, he gets a lot of praise for his captaincy and his leadership, and so he should. Uh he was a younger player when I worked with him, but he was. Um, Harmy, just as you were finishing pretty much mm. he was the mainstay of our one day international uh, cricket team and even with stars like Kevin Peterson in the side um, Morgan held that batting together almost single-handedly in that sort of period and he's brought all that experience to play. Um, he's got now he's streetwise I think that's one of his greatest qualities as a tactical captain uh, but he's also widely liked and respected by his group so you know those are those are qualities and traits that anyone would like in their leader Mm -hmm. and he's got them in spades so they've been very impressive Chris Wokes coming back into the side after after not being a mainstay of their white ball cricket for a while has been outstanding Rashid is one of the outstanding leg spinners in the world and Butler's just been sensational. You know, when he first came into our, our side as a youngster uh, that had just impressed in a couple of limited overs games for Somerset, you straight away you could see, number one, his preference for innovation uh, and his willingness to step out of the norm. Uh, number two, he, even though he's a very quietly spoken uh, bloke, he's got a little bit of steel in him. And that serves him really well under pressure, obviously, and he's got this amazing talent to uh, hit a ball hard, and he does that and, he's, and, he, and he works really hard physically, so he can back that up physically as well, so uh, he's become an amazing player.
2: Andy, can we just change tack while we've got you um, um, and and talk about the ashes? Um, how excited are you for, for for the ashes and and what how do, how do you rate England's chances?
5: Yeah, look, going to Australia and winning in their backyard in conditions which they know so well those at those six test venues and they're really good at exploiting their own conditions it's a very tough tour it's a very tough challenge but it's been done before so it's very possible i think both sides are flawed in some ways um you know they neither side is uh, in test cricket is completely dominant australia have lost in australia quite recently so I think it's going to, it, like any Ashes series, it will be fascinating. They can, they can win, but how they deal with a potent Australian attack that knows their conditions so well is obviously going to be crucial. Aussie have that good off-spinner who can um, hold one side and then they've got three excellent and varied attacking quicks uh, that can exploit their conditions. The Australian batting lineup are themselves quite vulnerable, I think. Um, so, very interesting, but a very tough ask. Uh, Joe Root will be, you know, super excited about that challenge. You know, he's had a couple of tough tours of Australia, and he'd like to put that right. I hope that he really gets his batting in order, because he could score very heavily in Australia if he gets in.
3: And how important has Ben Stokes coming back into that group for the stature of Ben? Um, and you mentioned, Joe Root, for the importance of that, you know, that right-hand man. You know, you know it more than anybody else, having you know, gone over there and won with, with Strauss and having some of the lieutenants under Strauss. So important that that right-hand man or that right-hand man you know, in Butler and, and Stokes not only are there, but perform. Um, and it's huge. It's huge for England to have Ben back.
5: Yes, it is, Harmie. Ben Stokes is exactly the sort of guy... All captains and coaches want in their eleven. Mm. I mean, very firstly, just purely as a as a as a cricketer, he balances your side, so he becomes your fourth seamer and bats in your top six. So that makes selection so much easier and and uh, and takes pressure off the other three seamers. You know, you'll, you know, you'll have a, a spinner and and four seamers available to you. That's perfect for Australian conditions. But as importantly is his competitiveness and he likes a scrap uh, Mm. and he's, he's really good at it. He's a brilliant, obviously, obviously a a brilliant batsman, Uh, but he is, I think he provides some steel in that dressing room and he's the sort of guy that when you're walking onto a field or having a team talk, people will follow him and he will provide that, uh, that, that sort of that brazen courage that can stand up to Australians, look them in the eye and say, we're going to take you on here. And that'll be gold dust for Joe Root. And f- finally, Andrew, thank you so much for your time and very, very best of luck
2: with Afghanistan. But I have to ask you, just returning to the freelance theme, do you see yourself uh, pulling up behind a, a more permanent desk again in the future
5: or are you enjoying life on the road? I am, I'm enjoying this at the moment. Uh, it does involve quite a lot of travel. And since my, my kids are adults now, that makes it a little easier. Um, so um, I, I'm going to do it for another couple of years, I think, and then uh, reassess. Good luck and thanks for your time. Thanks, guys. Great
2: to see you. That was freelance cricket consultant, Andrew Flower. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler, Steve Harmison. And still to come... We'll hear from England Test Captain Joe Root. But next up, we'll speak live to the cricketer's chief correspondent, George Dobell. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 with the Institute of Cricket.
0: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan.
2: You're listening to The Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast now available via the free Talksport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, as promised... We're going to uh, speak to George Dobell about the, well, I was going to say ongoing Yorkshire inquiry into the uh, Azim Rafiq racism report, but it's now um, not been released. It's been revealed by George um, of ESPN Crick Info, soon to become the Cricketer's chief correspondent. George, um, far from being an attempt to brush the whole thing under the carpet, Yorkshire appear to have been so naive and out of touch that they've poured fuel on the on the on the report and set fire to it um, and drawn everybody's attention to it i mean referring to racism as friendly good-natured banter is is something that people said in the 1980s i mean how how out of touch were the, the people who who did this report
6: well that is a very good question but one thing that i think we need to remember here is that they didn't want anyone to see this report So I don't think, I think part of the reason they didn't want to see this report is because they knew it was unpalatable. They knew it was completely unacceptable and the conclusions were inappropriate, which is why when it uh, came into my hands, I knew that I had to publish some of it to show how foul and racist, really, that the climate was, the environment is. Uh, And I think that the story that uh, I got published yesterday probably proves that Yorkshire is institutionally racist as a cricket club. I don't think there's any other reasonable conclusion to make to that story, that if you were dismissing um, racism as banter, and if you were trying to blame the victim, which they also tried to do, of course, uh, I I don't think there's any other reasonable conclusion.
2: It was interesting that you chose not to name the player uh, at the centre of the, the accusations um, I read your reasons uh, f- for the benefit of the listeners who don't know why you chose not to name him. Could you, could you explain that?
6: Yes. Uh, and I'd accept before doing so that. I might be wrong, but uh, my reasons are one, I fear for them um, possibly even their safety and certainly their good mental health. I think the person involved is troubled and needs some help. Uh, the club know perfectly well who it is and should be reaching out and working with them. Equally, the PCA. Uh, secondly, and this was a, a secondary consideration as well, it is not one individual. I, I could have done twelve stories with uh, a similar arc narrative where um, players whose names you would have uh, you would know of had said things which um, are completely unacceptable, sometimes disguised as banter but not always, sometimes just racial abuse, not necessarily to Azeem, but to other players. Uh, I, I think it's it very important that we don't think there is a quick solution here, and then in sort of blaming one person uh, or punishing one person, we think we're getting, we are gonna to get to the bottom of it. Uh, it. It was much more than one person and we have to treat this, I think, as a cultural, institutional issue. As I say, I don't think this is a, a, a one individual. It would be a mistake for anyone to think, look, there's one bad apple, let's root them out, uh, and that will be an end of it. And that is probably what people will think and will do, because uh, easy solutions, I mean, they're the best sort of solutions, aren't they? But this is not what we need here. You know what the first thing we need is? We need an acknowledgement from the club that there's something the matter.
3: That, that's the thing for me, George, that the acknowledgement from the club is something that, what they have, you know, what what happened around this this whole story is the one that's baffled me the most because they were the ones, and the, the, the senior executives were the ones that Azim came in front of first. They're the ones that should have dealt with this a hell of a lot better than what they have done because they were in his protective custody. You know, he they were in charge of of the club and setting rules. I remember I was in I was in that dressing room briefly in 2011, I think it was. And there was a group of young players, young players and Yorkshire have got an ego system who are told they're very, very good from an early age when they're playing schoolboy cricket. And what I got when I was in that dressing room was a lot of young lads with big egos, quite happily to have a go at each other. And I look at what's happened. Am I surprised by what's happened? No. Should it have been dealt with at a, before it got anywhere near out in the public domain? Yes. And the people at the top of the club, for me, are the ones that should be the ones that carry the can on this because they're the ones that a, a young man, you know, emotionally has gone to them with you know, a horrendous issue and arguably they've ignored him.
6: No, they, they, they did ignore him. <laughs> they they yeah. certainly ignored him. And it, and it wasn't just the club. I mean, I think it's worth saying as well that in one of the meetings where he reported uh, racism, um, the PCA representative who was there with him, didn't make any notes of the meeting and later didn't recall accusations of racism. Well, they've recently left the PCA. So it, it, it is, this is what I mean. It's not one individual. It, it, people wanted to turn the other way, even if they weren't you know, guilty of the, the racist abuse. And lots of people weren't, obviously, but quite a lot of people have turned the other way and uh, pretended they haven't heard it or haven't said, look, that's inappropriate. I think one of the things that's interesting is, uh, Azeem says that, none of this stuff happened in front of certain people. I don't think any of it happened in front of Joe Root, for example, or um, uh, Jason Gillespie or Paul Farbrace, uh, as, as I understand it. And I think that is because the, peop- the perpetrators uh, realised that they wouldn't, they wouldn't stand for it. Uh, so, you know, it, it still probably requires other people at Yorkshire to be a bit stronger with this in the future. But I do think that, the, that what we've seen... Um, around the story, the way that people in club cricket have sort of attacked Azeem, uh, that it shows that there's a cultural problem and that we have a huge amount of work to do in Yorkshire. And I'll say again that, uh, that the processes around Azim reporting and asking for help, none of them works. This, is, this isn't about me, but I, I, I would say that without journalism generally, none of this comes to light.
5: Mm.
6: Well, that's pathetic. I mean, mm. there's a system there where a guy's reported stuff that drove him to the brink of suicide And the game did nothing. That all the processes, the support systems, the union, it didn't work. And uh, that is a very interesting situation in which to be. So the ECB are looking at this now. Huge test of the ECB. I have some sympathy for them. They've only just uh, gained a copy of the report. They're reflecting on what they can do. But the fact is the story seems to be running away from them, but it's making them look weak and ineffectual on on a huge issue. I thought what we saw yesterday was probably enough for them to step in and say, look, w- w- we're going to have to act to get Yorkshire. We're going to have to charge them one way or another. And I wonder if it's appropriate whether Yorkshire are hosting international cricket. Personally, it might, I, I think it might be too late to do anything about the 2022 system and very unfair, of course, to penalise uh, people who have bought tickets in, 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 at Leeds. But uh, is it appropriate at the moment for Yorkshire to be hosting
2: the Ashes test in 2023? Well, I, it, it would make me very uncomfortable. George, i I know this will sound facetious, and I don't mean it to be at all. The, my question is twofold. Did you honestly expect a, a different result? Uh, and because I asked that, I, I find it very hard to remain <laughs> of an equitable temp, um, temperament here, because when I read that line, it was not reasonable for Azim to have been offended. I wonder if there is if there is any hope.
6: I think your reaction is entirely appropriate. I think we've all been a bit too patient, you know, but let's bear in mind that this report, well, when when, when did they call for it? It's it's well over a year ago, isn't it? 15 months ago, something like that? Yeah, 15 months. Right. So maybe sometimes impatience is a virtue. Maybe we we all need to be a little bit less reasonable. uh, And, um, yeah, we need to rock the boat a a little bit more. I I agree with you. Um, Again, I think it's so important that it has up to a point come to light to show just how egregious some of the abuse was and the excuses uh, that they're using, uh, and that is quite valuable. Uh, Honestly, there are some times, of all the articles I've ever written, that is one of the ones where I could scarcely believe what I was writing. And it's actually horrifying, but it it is so outrageous, the way that they've fallen over themselves to excuse racism and to excuse the, the racial bullying there are so many other examples in the report. It's very, very clear that the report, for one reason or another, tries to exonerate the club. I, I, you know, for me, that's, that is pretty obvious. I, I've got, I don't know how long it is, 100 pages or so. Uh, uh, elsewhere, there's a, a former England cricketer who is found to have bullied Azim, And they say, yeah, he definitely bullied him, but we're exonerating him on the grounds that it wasn't racist. Uh, so they, they always sort of try and find a reason to um, to forgive the, the the bullying and the racism, always. And they always sort of try and find a reason to blame a theme. And yet, even in that report, they found the club guilty on what, what, what was it, nine or ten counts? Even <laughs> with all the bias involved, and it seems to be incredibly biased, uh, It, it uh, they still have found the club guilty on several counts. I absolutely understand, having read the report, why they don't want anyone to read it, because <laughs> it is completely uh, unacceptable that the people who are in uh, office at that club remain in office. Where
3: does Azim go from here? Because like you said, it's been going 15 months. He's not got any answers. It's not got any clearer in his mind where or what's going to happen next. And is this going to open the door for... For, for other people who talked about mental health and sport, and it just took the first person to come out, for them to say, well, this is happening to me. I understand what he's going through. Does people need to understand that Azim's not the only one that's oh, gone yes.
6: through this? Categorically, that, that, that's the key point. So I, I hope you won't mind me saying, but I had a cup of coffee in Dubai last week with Ishmael Daywood, who used to play for the club, and yeah. also bought a case against the ECB, and, and brought to prominence the fact that there have been no non-white umpires appointed to the first-class list. since 1992. Uh, and I had a cup of coffee with him last week, and I think it's fair to say that he's embittered by his experience. He tried to report things, and his experiences are horrendous, for them. And basically, it didn't make any progress. Uh, you know, he brought a little bit of enlightenment to the situation, but, you know, he certainly got no financial redress or anything like that. Not that that was the, uh, his primary aim, it's very important that people know that Azim is absolutely the tip of the iceberg. So, my my in the last year or so, uh, I've spoken to so many people who didn't want to um, stymie their own position in the game by reporting anything publicly, but sort of wanted people to know what had happened to them. Uh, all the coaches who felt that their uh, pathway was blocked, the the players, you know, we know that thirty percent of recreational cricket is played by uh, people from an Asian background, we know that every level up to the academy has a very high percentage of uh, young Asian cricketers, and yet we know that the percentage falls to three or under three percent when we get to the, uh, the county game, or the professional game. Why is that? Well, there are lots and lots, and lots of reasons, uh, but we need to acknowledge them and understand them, and the difference between I'm full of admiration for Azim. I don't know what he used to be like. I'm I'm told he had a past. Well, didn't we all? eh? Um, He has been so strong and so determined. He has refused to be bought off. He's refused to be bullied off, and there's been a lot of that. And he is absolutely adamant that he wants his children to grow up with greater opportunity and uh, less abuse. I think he's in an okay place at the moment. You know, let's remember he's lost his career... Uh, he's lost his sense of identity and he's lost a kid. That, he's had a rough time of things, but he has just, he's just opened a new business. He's got a fish and chip shop with, with Adil Rashid uh, and he seems in a good place. He's going to win this. He's going to win this. He's going to win everything about it. I think he already sort of has won the moral fight uh, and uh, then hopefully he'll be able to rest a bit. He's gone through a lot, but I think he's in an OK place right now. But all I would say is the game has let him down. Not just let him down in terms of the abuse he suffered, but the reporting structure, the support network. None of it worked. Some of it was well-intentioned, but none of it worked. Uh, we've got to do better than that in future. Uh, this is a huge issue, uh, and I think it's been quite shocking to hear how backward Britain in some areas can be in you know 2021. We've got to do better, and Yorkshire seems to be an absolute hot point of this. It needs to be cleared up from top to bottom, and it's going to take a long time. But I do think we owe, uh, Azim a, a huge debt for mm. having the bravery to keep shining a light on it, because it really isn't easy. Just for the basics of, you know, you, you're a young fella going up against your dressing room. That's difficult. And we, You know, most people understand that. The fact that his family have had death threats, he's had death threats, that's pretty diff- difficult. The fact that he, even when the PCA, bless them, well-intentioned, asked him report what some of his issues were they asked him to get a lawyer to fill in the form or the letter well you know the the guy's just starting efficient he he doesn't have a lawyer on tap which of us could afford a lawyer to write letters for us you know these things are expensive So the whole game has been quite naive and out of touch in what they've asked and demanded him to do and he keeps going with with great determination there's nothing in it for him if anyone thinks that there's money in it for him you know hire a lawyer for us Thousand hours or whatever. Good luck with that. And uh, it, it's, uh, you know, I think it's getting to the stage where people at the ECB are realizing that something needs to be done. Something is rotten in the state
2: of Yorkshire. George, I know that it's not always comfortable doing the work that you do. Um, and I know that there are people that uh, would like to make life uncomfortable for you, but uh, keep going. Um, yeah, you're doing definitely. a fantastic job. And, you. and hey, and, just and thank you.
6: that. Uh, no, 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 thank you. But I mean, uh, it, it's been a real pleasure for me. I mean, it's been—you it, know what it's like. If you work with any player who really opens up and sort of trusts you and allows you to tell their story, it's, it's a real pleasure. And actually, it's come at a time in my career when it's reminded me that there can be a point to journalism. You know, it's not just we—we have, we have a lovely lifestyle, don't we? I'm about to go to Australia, but uh, sometimes it's really nice to know there's a sense of purpose. And this story uh, really does remind me of that. Uh, and and I honestly think. So when we look back at Azim in, say, 20 years, we'll think he made our game a little bit better. And if, he, if we don't think that, what a mess we've made of this situation because this is an opportunity. It, it, we have to use this as a positive opportunity to clear things up in cricket and Yorkshire in particular.
2: Thanks, George. Cheers, guys. Time now to hear from the England Test captain, Joe Root, who's been speaking to Talk Sport ahead of
0: the start of next month's Ashes. I think it... it... Stems from a lot of excitement, really. Um, from a playing point of view, everyone wants to play Ashes cricket. It's the one series that you you grow up wanting to to be involved in um, as an English player, and the opportunity to go over to Australia and win is has you know, no bigger dangled carrot than that in the sport, for, especially in Test cricket. So, from our perspective, we're all very excited. Now we we know that the tour's going ahead. We can we can really look forward to preparing well once we get there and, and making sure we're absolutely ready for what should be a, a brilliant series. Just one on on Ben, we know what a great cricketer he is but just, it's a massive boost for you but just what lift does this give the whole England team, having Ben in the dressing room, just how important is he for especially some of the younger players in the team? I think he's a massive asset in many respects you obviously talk about first and foremost his performances on the field and especially what he's done against Australia in the recent past But also the way that he plays his cricket and you look at where we're going, we're going to have periods of of play where it's going to be very challenging. You're going to have to turn to people to stick their hand up and, I suppose, grab the game. He's someone that will always do that. He'll lead from the front in that respect. Um, He's a brilliant leader within the dressing room and and people follow him. And They look at how he works, how he practices, how he goes about his cricket and they all want to go along with him. And I think that's a, a great trait to have Along with being able and capable of performing how he does. So, of course, it's a huge boost, as, as well as him balancing the side as well as he has done for, for such a long time now. Just everything about the way he goes about things is is going to be great for all of us.
2: That was England captain Joe Root speaking to Talk Sports' Sam Ellard. India's loss to New Zealand was a hard one to explain. I mean, goodness me, the, the Indian batting lineup just got stuck. Um, they had too many players of uh, similar style. They just couldn't get going. They seemed to, they faced more dot balls than any other team in the tournament so far. And it seemed to be block, 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 panic, caught on the boundary. Block, 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 panic, caught on the boundary.
3: Yeah, it just seemed, it seemed as though that one, the innings never got started. Two, when I seen Kiel Rowell walk out with Shank Kujan, I'm like, really? Robert Sharma's got... Two Was it two double hundreds in 50-over cricket? He's got hundreds for fun in opening a bat in an IPL cricket. And you're him in later on because oh, he, plays, he hits spin well in the middle of the... He could be 30-not out by the time a spinner comes on. If you, like, I just didn't understand that. You would never take Rohit Sharma out of the, the, the top of the order. Um, I was surprised Brett Coley didn't go in in first either. I just think... they've They've spent a lot of time with each other. They're now they've now had enough, and I think they're desperate to get out of this bubble and and have a, a spend a bit of time rethink, re- yeah, rethinking about where you know things go from here. You know, they're not going to have Virat as captain of the white ball team for, for too much longer, or the Twenty Twenty team for too much longer, um, and it might be time to chuck a lot of them young all stars that play IPL cricket into into this group because, like you said, it was hard to watch that New Zealand game. It's going to take a miracle for them to get to the semi-final. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of the teams in that other group will be clapping their hands and thinking, yes, if we, we've got a chance of winning this now because one of the big guns are out.
2: Let's hear from Jasper Bummerer Bumrah, actually, because um, he was talking along very much the same lines that you, uh, uh, Harmi. He, um, he didn't say, he didn't blame bubble fatigue, but he certainly uh, hinted at
1: it. Sometimes uh, you need a break, you m- you miss your family, sometimes you've been on the road for six months. So all of that sometimes play on the back of your mind, but when you're on the field, you don't think about all of those things. You don't uh, control a lot of things, how the scheduling goes on or what tournament is played when. So, yeah, obviously staying in a bubble and staying away from your family for such a long period of time does play a role on, on the player's mind as well. But um, DCCI has also tried their best to you know make us feel comfortable. But this is the time which we are living in, right now it's a difficult time there's a pandemic going on so yeah we try to adapt but sometimes you know but bubble fatigue mental fatigue also creeps in that you're doing uh, the same thing again and again and again so yeah it it is the way it is and you can't control a lot over here
2: that was Jasper at Bumrah suggesting that uh, that Hami's absolutely right spent a lot of time together and a lot of time in uh, managed environments so um as far as I can see India not only have to destroy the minnows, Scotland and Namibia, in order to get uh, repair their run rate, but they, I, I think, Afghanistan needs to beat New Zealand in order yeah. for India to progress. Is that right?
3: Yeah, I think Afghanistan have to do India a massive favour by beating New Zealand and beating them quite comfortably. But if they do that, well, I'm back Afghanistan to get into the semi final because. You know, if they beat New Zealand, Afghanistan themselves have got a chance to qualify. So, and I wouldn't, put it, I wouldn't put it past them with the slow bowlers they've got. I think India are out. I think it's a miracle if India qualify. And, you know, they've got two games against, two good games for Namibia and for Scotland, two not-so-good games for India.
2: Final thought on the T20 World Cup as we wrap up this section, um, and it can be a yes or no reply. I've got this theory that the West Indies and India allowed sentiment, reputation, and ego to cloud their judgment when it came to selection. I think they've made this uncomfortable bed that they're lying in. They're both about to be eliminated, I think. You know, not only in the squad, like the West Indies went for you know, Dad's Army and uh, and left out Jason Holder. I think they were asking for trouble there. India, also in their squad. I mean, the team they selected, they had three anchors in the top five. KL Rahul, Rohit Sharma, Virat Kohli. They all make slow, cautious starts and try to accelerate later. They lost all of the analysis that they employ in the IPL where they're ruthless. They're dispassionate and ruthless when it comes to selection. Don't care who you are. This is the job we want this guy to do. This is the matchup we need. It's a, it's a science and, they, and they've just abandoned it for the, because it's a World Cup.
3: Yeah, both sides have got big egos who haven't turned up, really. Um West Indies, well, I'm not even going to go there. They were, a sh- I said there were a shambles before they started, and I'm quite happy to say, yes, I was right, because there were a shambles, and they still are a shambles. I just think they've had enough of each other. I really do, and this is coming to the fore now. Different captain, different coach coming further down the line in the shorter format. They'll still play the same tune. It's just somebody else will be singing it. And that might be a good thing for India.
2: Okay, a couple of other items, Harmi. A sad one, um, very, very sad one, the passing of um, former England fast bowler Alan Iggleston. I got to know him over 20 years ago. He came out to play um, cricket for um, Boyland and uh, he played a couple of seasons. I I always remember people saying he's far too nice to be a fast bowler. Uh, He needed to develop a mean streak. Um, th- that's my first memory of uh, of Alan Eagleston. But he had a brain tumour for many, many years, didn't he? And he was um, helped out by the PCA. But sadly, um, inevitably, he has now passed. Yeah, it is. It's really sad. I met Eggy a few times um,
3: at, at test matches. Uh, I think the first time I met him was in 1999 or 1998. Um, and we had a couple of beers in a bar with with Iggy, and he, you know, he like say he's been fighting this for a long, long time, um, and he's and he's sadly gone. And it's it is it's so sad when you see somebody die so young. Um, my recollection of, of watching cricket on TV when I was when I was a, in my teenage years was, yeah, you know, one of Eggleston's one of Alan Eggleston's Test matches. So it is sad. The PCA have helped brilliantly. Um, and making his life as comfortable as he possibly can. And, you know, our, our thoughts and best wishes to the Eagleson family, Ken Carey, Cricket Club and, and cricket in general.
2: Now we spent um, much of the summer praising Matt Critchley um, for, for Derbyshire and uh, underrated all-rounder. He's now been snapped up by Essex on a three-year deal. And um, on the subject of Essex, Sam Cook uh, was called up to the Lions squad. Uh, do you remember when that Lions squad was announced? I was beyond comprehending how it didn't include Sam Cook after his 58 wickets at 14. Well, obviously <laughs> yeah. whoever selects the Lions squad had a similar thought, so he has now been called up.
3: Yeah, it's a, and it's a good, two good pieces of news for, for Essex. Uh, surprised that uh Critchley's left Derby, he's, he's decided to move on from Derby, but I think he's he's seen that not only he's batting, playing with the likes of Sir to Cook, if Cook he hangs around and and plays one more year, that will experience will be valuable. And, and bowling, spin, and and t- tandem with Simon Harmer is only going to you know make him a better cricketer, uh, and hopefully knock on that that England door that he wants. And the Sam Cook one for me, honestly, Commanders, I just think it could be quite as simple as if England have gone right there's a 15 man Lion squad, and they've they've only named 14, and then a week later they've thought. Oh no, we didn't name Sam Cook. Yes, he was in that squad because <laughs> if you get if you get 58 wickets at 14 in a championship and the age that he's at and the way he bowled, sure you've got to get some recognition of of of, of England honours. It's not as though he's, he's Chris Bushworth here of of, of the late mid 30s. You know, he's still a, a relatively young man who who can you know develop if England got a hold of him and develop. So I'm pleased with Sam Cook. It's going to be tough in Australia. Not as many games. It's going to be a big learning curve, but hopefully he comes back not only a better per, per, a better bowler, but he'll come back a better person for the experience going over there. So
2: good on the ECB for remembering that they were in 15 <laughs> and not 14. And the final uh, news item is the um, parting of ways of Stuart Law and Middlesex. Um, after three years as, uh, as head coach, Middlesex have been badly underperforming. They're... they're one of the biggest clubs in the country always have been, and the results just weren't good enough. Was that inevitable?
3: I think so. And, and I feel sorry for Stuart Law because Stuart is a, he's a great, he's a good man, he's a good cricket man, he talks a lot of good sense. Um, and sometimes, from a county's point of view, financial resources might come in. I don't know the ins and outs of what, what happened at, at Middlesex. They there are a big county. And the play at Lords at the home of cricket, but I think there's a lot of hurdles you have to jump over as 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 Middlesex as a, a coach and a player, because of you're not, not always at one base because you have to move around because Lords is not freely accessible for you as a as a group. And I think sometimes when you haven't got a home or your home isn't as as secure or as you know, stable as what, what it should be, because other counties you know, they're quite comfortable being at their county ground. This is the MCC's ground. That that could have troubles in as well. So, you know, three good three good years from, from Stuart, but it's not been quite good enough for Middlesex going forward. And, you know, I'm sure Stuart Law will be in cricket very, very soon because he's a very well-traveled and educated man in the game.
2: Fantastic. Thanks, Army. That's all we've got time for this week. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmerson. And if you have missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, which is now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back at the same time next week. Enjoy the T20 World Cup. This has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2.
1: The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today.
3: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer.